His name is Heston Blumenthal, our captain on another journey to the centre of food. I'm Jay Taylor, your host, along with James Winter, our navigator on this adventure. And on today's show, we are setting the dial on our submarine to 88 miles per hour and giving the flux capacitor a good kick as once again we head to the future, taking a trip into future food to discover what we might all be eating in the next 30 years. So, without further ado, let's meet our very own Doctor Who of the food world, Heston Blumenthal. Hello, Heston. Hi, Captains. <laughs> all, abo- <laughs> all, abo- <laughs> all aboard the Skylark. The Are Skylark. we weathering the storm, <laughs> stabilising the ship, dropping anchor, uh, and uh, and organising our sextant? No, I'm not talking about our private lives. <laughs> Hi, chaps. Hello. I've got to help us Go if on. we were on a, an actual submarine. Well, I mean, that would just... I know, just God help us. <laughs> just God help us. <laughs> well, all this lot are listening are in the submarine with us, so we're, we're going down to the bottom of the ocean. We won't get up. What's the Skylark from? When you said all aboard the Skylark, what's that from? Yeah. All aboard the Skylark. I don't remember. It was something... I think it, it was it, a it, TV it, show, wasn't it? It was a I big think, kid's... I'm, have a look. Was, oh, I just... Yeah. I don't know where that came from. I mean, obviously, it was somewhere lurking in my unconscious or subconscious memory all aboard the skylark yeah. it was from a kids tv show when i was a kid which was obviously mm. a very long time ago it sounds um, yeah I, it must it must have been it must have been uh, messenger pigeons because tvs didn't exist in those days <laughs> have you uh did you ever used to watch doctor who and all that yeah the, really uh, i do remember being behind the sofa with my hands over my eyes with my fingers sort of gaps in my fingers i'm glad it wasn't just me exterminate it was terrifying exterminate. it was and even the noise yeah 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 my kids watch it now i just yeah. like what's that dialect I'm like whatever i'm like oh come on they were scary right and the cybermen were really scary and now then just it doesn't. yeah they were they were scary there's these ones they got on the modern one well not modern but in the past few years where they have these um these horrible-looking statues, and basically, they—it's like grandma's footsteps. They move when you do, when you don't look, and as soon as you look at them, they stop, and they're right next to you, like about to get you. And if you turn your head away, they'll move again. That was quite freaky. I quite like that one. So you kind of have to keep looking at exactly. Them. So when you're not looking, they'll sneak up behind you and try to kill you, which is quite cool. So I like that. I d- I do love the in- the imagination in it because they do have quite a turnover of ideas in that. Of sort of scary, yeah. scary aliens to encounter and and eras to go to. I remember being very scared at the beginning of. Uh, <laughs> it shows my age. Um, the Wizard of Oz, when uh, oh yeah, when she's in the house and it falls through the sky. That witch, well, she's pretty yes, hardcore. Been in the witch. Oof. Oof. <laughs> it's one of the things that stick isn't it um, anyway so we are we are delving into the future so for our listeners out there the way this works is what every so often what we do is we look into some of the future food stories that are out there which are brilliant it's a bit like you know sort of tomorrow's world things that may come to pass and we sort of feed those into the heston mind processor and see what comes out the other end and i've been reading some articles yeah, and, then, and then chaos is huge <laughs> invent, inventing an umbrella with banana skins <laughs> well your name's cropped up every so often I've, I've, I've been looking for some future food articles and occasionally it's like as heston blumenthal showed i was like oh okay well that's gonna be weird that's that's the future eating yeah. itself if it comes back to you creating the idea of the future so in no particular order uh let's go to the future actually i might put a sound effect on that so it sounds like we've gone to the future at that point um <laughs> just, production values are going up on this podcast is what i'm saying <laughs> okay we've managed to get everyone on a microphone that's good i think sound effects might be slightly honest um so the first story is this idea and we've touched on this before but um food being specifically engineered 
to be more nutritious. So apparently researchers from Australia have showcased a banana with high levels of pro-vitamin A, which is an imp important nutrient not normally present in, the in this fruit. And to create it, they snipped out genes from a certain type of Papua New Guinean banana that's high in this and inserted them into a common banana variety. And there's lots of talk now about being able to transplant uh, DNA from completely different organisms to uh, to to, to in, in, incur more nutrients and things and this is this wouldn't even be done in selective breeding this is very um specifically cross you know cross cutting various different things to make them more nutritious so carrots for example um can they create they, they created a modified carrots that can increase the body's absorption of calcium so it's a very long way to say this idea of creating foods that are specifically more nutritious for us is an interesting thing to look at. Where do we? What, what do you think about that, Heston? Well, first, first of all, funny enough, literally as you said the word carrots, I wrote carrots at, <laughs> as you were saying carrots, <clears throat> because carrots are one of the original modified, and I say genetically modified. I'm not. I don't know if it is actually genetically modified, and the details I do not remember. But I, uh, Mark Meltonville, the hist great historian been working with over the years told me that actually the original carrot is more like a um, uh, parsnip they're not orange so carrots were not originally orange we crossbred them so there is a very gray area of when something becomes acceptable to somebody and not to somebody else in terms of its you know injecting it or breeding it with 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 one thing and another it could be you know, human beings breeding, or it could be dogs crossbreeding, or, you know, so there's a very big question about the, um, you know, all sorts of subjects around, around, around this area, whether it's morality, whether it's been long-term benefits to health, anything new that we, we do not know uh, if there's going to be any long-term side effects or effects to the soil or effects to the climate, who, who knows? We don't know. Because it's, it's, these things take time, even with years of testing. Um, so there's always going to be that, that question. Also, I would say that, you know, over the last couple of years, there's more and more research being done on, you know, what's good for us. And we are individuals. Although we are the same species and we share, we are the same in one perspective, you know, Buddhist to the Buddhist approach, so we're all the same. But we are unique at the same time because we have our emotions and our memories forged and formed, amongst other things, by our own life's experiences and the way that we react and we respond to them and, and the things that, you know, we experience in our childhood, et cetera, et cetera. So, yes, you personalized nutrition, let's say, uh, is a very big subject at the moment. Yeah. And what's you know what's that one person's so-and-so is another person's poison or something now one man's uh, sea urchin is another man's another man's tin fish <laughs> which is still looming by the way the tin is sort of expanding as we speak the tin watch and um <laughs> um but in fact the more you zoom into this i think what we will start to discover very soon is that our emotional state will determine the way that our body processes the food that we eat. So what do we need? Um, there is um, 
a sense called interception. And our interoceptive sense is basically <clears throat> um, works with, if, if we're doing nothing, I mean, I don't believe nothing exists. If we're doing nothing, so let's say we're meditating or we're sleeping or we're just sitting there, our body's still functioning, our heart is still beating, our liver and kidneys are still functioning, blood is still being pumped through our body, our microbes are still active and doing stuff. So our, one of the theories is our brain is, 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 is primarily responsible for movement and, and registering movement. And that doesn't mean move, just moving your hands or smiling or something like that. It actually means all of the universe inside us, all of our organs need to move and need to function. And if you could hear that movement, you'd have the <laughs> of the heart, and then you'd hear gurgling, you'd hear you'd hear grumbling and rumbling and gurgling and slurping and dripping. There'd be all sorts oh, of symphony, stuff. Symphony, symphony of our body, yeah, amazing, symphony, yeah. Regulated by the heart as a result of the effect of the of the the reaction of our uh, uh, interoception. So when we have change, if something changes, so in terms of interoception is, is pre, um, what's the word, is a precursor for emotions. So at no, let's call it nothing. Let's call it neutrality. At interoceptive sense, there's still, um, you know, brain cells firing and things connecting in the body just to keep our system functioning. Yeah. But then when we have a change the more noticeable and rapid and the type of change, then that's when the, you've got the interoceptive sense then, then engages with the brain and the brain then responds. So if you go into fear mode, the brain will produce certain hormones that will shut certain things down to pass energy to different parts of the body. So if you are, for example, I don't know, scared or you're nervous or you're ecstatically happy or you're so relaxed, the chances are that you will process the things that you consume, i.e. food and drink, in a different way. So not only are we unique, we, we will share many crossovers with other human beings in terms of what is generally good for us. Mm -hmm. um, it depends on what you're focusing on, what's good for your heart, what's good for your microbes, what's good for your, you know, your, your, your gut, what's good for your energy, what's good for sleep. Um, so it's more a case, less a case of less a case of modifying your food for everybody. It's more a case of modifying what you eat for you, because one man's yeah, injected yeah. banana might not be the next man's. Yes. So, so rather than thinking about our perceptions, what we see, what we hear, what we eat, what we touch, what we taste, we're, I'm working on this quite a lot at the moment. And you know, 20 or 25 years ago, when I came up with this whole notion of multisensory, that our perception is our senses will will lead will will, will um, create our perception or our reality. In fact, our perception allows sight and smell, audible or inaudible sound, visible or invisible light. Let's say all of these energy waves coming into our body through our eyes, our nose, our mouths, our ears, our skin, even. Um, the contrast in there will have an effect on the change of our interoceptive sense. So that will then lead, that creates mood and that then leads to emotion of some shape or form. The problem is when you call your fear will never be the same kind of fear. Yeah. But you might categorize it as fear and it won't necessarily be the same as my fear. It's like if we look at the same color green. So 
in fact, our mood affects our perception. Our mood, our context, it affects our perception. It might affect our absorption of things as well, I'm guessing. You know, we've, you've talked yeah. before about how, you know, the, the release of various different hormones when you're in different moods, you know, the, the good hormones and the, the, the cortisols when you're stressed and things like that. I'm, I imagine that certain foods will be, absor- the same food will be absorbed into your body differently depending upon your mood, right? Because certain things will be blocked. Yes, that- definitely. So we've touched on how nostalgia can be positive or negative. Every, you cannot have positive without the potential of negative or vice versa. It's like hot. If there is no cold then there'd be no potential hot. So before all of this, you could argue that contrast, you need contrast, and the rate of change of that contrast will engage your interoceptive sense to communicate with your brain and vice versa to then do an incredibly complicated juggling act of, of, of moving energy in different parts of the, to different parts of the body. Yeah. So for, for preservation, so sometimes it has, to, it has to send, you know, your heart goes faster at the expense of something else. Your hormones might be changed in the way they're produced uh, at the expense of something else. And cortisol, I've called it before, it's a stress hormone, but technically it's not really a stress hormone because cortisol can be, you know, is released when you're exercising. And if you, uh, and stress gives you the benefit to create something positive from. But if you're in a constant state of, stress or anxiety then you go into what's called a a syndrome and then you're stuck in that Mm. so your awareness of your emotional state and your emotional state will play a major role in the in in how beneficial these foods are for us also the foods that we eat and you mentioned the banana and vitamin a but uh, that this is a big generalization but generally foods that have a lot of fiber and cellulose um, are think about let's think of a food um, let's think of a food it could be a skin of an orange it could be the seeds and stuff of an apple it could be ginger you know it's stringy yeah they're, they're, they're like roots like chewing through a twig or a licorice a natural licorice branch they're stringy and that's fibrous so as you digest that you chew your chewing helps pre-digest the food so the stomach part of your digestive tract has to do is less work the really important area for your microbes is the stuff near your nether regions near your backside and when you send them to the gym by trying to break down fiber that they eventually huh. can't break down they get more active and that helps strengthen your immune system so there are general things that are considered to be um to be very beneficial i never knew that why, um, i never knew that's why we we're told to eat fiber you know if we're told to eat fiber it's healthy yeah it's good that's, for your gut but you never i never knew why it's like a workout is it for the body it's a workout you're giving yeah. them a workout was when you eat fast food or processed food all the workouts been done for you so yeah. by the time you swallow it's already broken down it's so much so it? much and in the year it's pre-chewed it's processed it's had all those fibrous things removed from it so there are general things like that. Then you can come on to vitamins. There is an argument to say that, and if we had this discussion, there was that great question the other week about garlic. If you believe there is, there is evidence to show that vitamin supplements are good for you, there's a, a, a beneficial, if taken at the right time with the right foods and the, the right type of supplement, there's also evidence to show that actually 
there's if you just if you just eat a varied diet you don't need to take any vitamin supplements at all there is evidence to show that a lot of uh, vitamin supplements are successful on the placebo so if you believe them to be doing you good that itself will have a major impact if you believe they're not doing anything then it can also have uh, a major impact the other way so it's really i'm saying all of this because all of the talk about future foods from developing replacement meats uh, new forms of agriculture in order to deal with um potential food sh and water shortage that is that, 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 that that's looming they're all very important and they're all very impressive and very interesting to see what work is being done so i'm not criticizing any of those what i'm my big belief is that we need to add the other perspective into the equation, and that is our self-awareness, the celebration of humans' ability to imagine, the ability to be able to discover more about how we feel and how our gut feels. There's a reason why gut feeling is called gut feeling. So if when you eat, there's a, there's a delayed reaction, depending on how much your food is processed, how much chewing you do in your mouth, what your digestive system, the state of your digestive system, your emotional condition, your microbiome diversity, all of these things, it's like trying to make a, I don't know, I've just made this one up, this is quite a good one. It's trying to make a sausage in an ice cream factory. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, ice cream in a sausage factory. You're that's not, our it's latest t-shirt logo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for me, what, what is really, really important about future food is an understanding more about ourselves our inner universe we'll never understand it all because it's so beautifully incredibly complex um but an understanding of that and maybe how does it feel right well just when we think of a certain food and we look at a certain food or imagine when you imagine uh biting into a really crisp cold apple red apple that's it's funny, crunchy. as you were saying so that, that my, my brain was going through a file of facts of things. Because you're like, imagine biting into... And I was like, okay, something really crunchy. I was like, okay, where are we going with this? And as you did it, and it, when you honed in on red apple, my brain was all flicking memories aside, going, yeah, yeah red apple, click. And you're like, oh, I got yeah, that. So I'm, I'm in the middle of reading, James, as well, a, a, a fantastic book called How... I've read it's the second time I've read it, called How Emotions Are Made. Lisa Feldman Barrett. It, it turns all classical um, sort of theories on... On, on emotion on its head and that there are no universal emotions. You can say that maybe laughing is probably one of the most sort of recognizable ones, but the, the, she even says that the smiling face, a smile uh, as, a, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a facial recognition of being fulfilled or happy, let's say, or pleasant emotions, didn't really come about to the 1800s and it's when dentistry evolved. So you show huh. your nice teeth. Well, in some countries there isn't. I've been to, you know, especially over in the east, like Eastern Bloc countries, where smiling yeah. is not done like we do it, and it's not you're not <laughs> no, it's not you're not rude. No, well, the, you just I mean, don't be no smiling in Russia. <laughs> <that's> <laughs> the, ja the Japanese don't smile so much, but do we then assume that we make our, and this? She says this in the book. In, in a lot of um, smile, you can argue that smiling. Uh, the, the facial movements for emotions are more about commu intentional communication than they are an expression of an emotion. 
Well, speaking on a microphone, you know, you're also, you know, if you smile when you speak, it changes the tone of your voice. Whereas if you smile, oh, yeah, I'm going to try it now. Gonna, Welcome now to the show. Grin. Now I've got a, I've got a big grin on my face. Yeah, I wonder if it changes the tonality. Of your it voice. does. It is. It is. It's, it's how yeah. you do the voiceover for one of those, you know, little. So, oh, sorry, waitress. Waitress. Yeah, but, so but, lovely things. <laughs> that's registration, registering movement as well. So I'm coming back to the, again, you know, the the where the, i mean it's a matter future food is a massive subject so how can we predict the future we can all i mean i i love the idea that we can just make creative things up like we're gonna we're gonna make flying taxis that are so soft because they're made from bananas that even if the gps system didn't work in the air they would just sort of just you know bounce off each other so and uh, flying uber drivers is uh, a terrifying and save, thought. <laughs> and save the planet yeah, I know. But look at the power of iRobot, that film. Some of those films, like Minority Report, they actually, by creating a vision of the future, they actually influence the future. The cars they used in it, the thoughts they used in it, some of the, you know, iRobot they, they as well. Do, they, Maybe we're doing yeah, that right do now. That. Maybe we're influencing and the future. Lots of little things. Like, as we've made our lives more comfortable, we are then, that increased comfort leads to increased fear of what could go hap- what could happen if we're not comfortable enough and by comfort, you know, it could be the design of bicycles. I've never ridden the penny farthing. Is it penny farthing? You know, with a massive mm. front wheel and a tiny yeah, back one, but I can imagine how difficult and dangerous they are to ride. Yeah. Now our bicycles are much safer. So well, in making they, these they are, unless you're on us, them in theory. I mean, you, you oh, could, could fall die, off any yeah, bike. I, yeah, <laughs> I know. I need to make a safe pillow, pillow, pillow case. Cause I could injure myself stuffing <laughs> a pillow, but we do that cause and effect. If we don't preserve the uniqueness of human imagination, then there's no chance of sustaining anything. Well, here's an interesting one. You've sort of, you've sort of, as we do, because this is, as you can tell by this first answer, this is very well scripted. We know exactly where we go. You've linked very nicely, and this is very relevant to the, one of the next things that we've come to, which completely dovetails into what you've been talking about. But I want, I want to sort of plug into it from that. That nostalgia and uh, not nostalgia, so the escapism and reward mechanism aspect of it, because yes, they're talking about the idea of guilt-free food. Now, as we know, in terms of treats and things, there's been this big sort of um, short-term solution of re- re-engineering calorific junk food to have less fat, sugar, fewer calories, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. However, now there's this talk of sort of. Uh, longer term fine-tuning our biology to sort of turn down our thermostat our internal appetite thermostat with its desire for calories and actually making us desire less calories in our bodies so that we can enjoy more of the junk things that aren't good for us or, or sorry get as much enjoyment from less of those junk things within our, our threshold and that feels after what we've just been talking about completely the wrong way around of doing it actually re-engineering us to want less so we can eat more of the things we don't want doesn't this comes back to what we talked about before. I think that as important as the objects we consume is the relationship with the objects we consume and the relationship with ourselves. Yeah. Delayed um, gratification, wanting that treat because it's a treat. If you have it every single day, yes. it's no longer a treat, is it? it, it it's just mm-hmm. what you have every day. And then that desire of, you know, food's become such a big part of our life beyond the sustainment of us as humans. It's now a desirable thing. It's an escapism thing. It's a depression it thing. It's all these things to us, isn't it? And even the word guilty pleasure is a bit of a bizarre description. Yeah. A guilty pleasure. I mean, many times, most, we would have all eaten with some level of guilt. We haven't eaten up all our food or, you know, if we're just feeling, we might feel guilt, which which you know you could be argued is a is a natural 
uh, what's the word, uh, exhaust fume fallout from human relationships, uh, interdependent and, indep and, and, and uh, human connectivity. There will be guilt looming somewhere, somewhere. So, so we carry that guilt among, uh, and, and, and many, many other emotions. So we will never really eat. When you zoom in enough, we never eat for exactly the same reason or you know with the same focus it might be guilt it might be pleasure it might be that's what we want it might be a uh, distraction or anesthetizing it might it might be connectivity it might be social bonding it could be discovery it could be all sorts of of things but i do think that w if we can become more self-aware and, uh, and we can become more vulnerable emotionally and emotionally understand ourselves then we can approach sustainability in a completely new way okay so here's a uh, here's a question for you both uh and i'm going to also ask everyone listening to get involved in this one as well so as a bit of context i said to my 10 year old the other day if you could go back in time and tell your younger self something that you now know what would you tell them and it was a brilliant 10 year old so he just looked and thought for a second and went don't touch a toasty maker, it's hot. And I was like, perfect. That is that is the message you're going to give to yourself 20 years ago. Um, I would love to know, James and Heston, both what you, if you could transport back 20 years now, uh, what you would be telling yourself, Heston, in the early days of the, of the Fat Duck, James, in your early TV careers. Um, and also our listeners, we'd love to hear this from you guys. Please get in touch. Um, all your contact is amazing. It's at Heston's Podcast on Instagram and Heston's Podcast at gmail.com. And also do subscribe on iTunes while you're there and put a comment down. It's great. It really helps the algorithms. Let other people find us and obviously tell all your friends, family, people on the bus, anyone on the train, random people in the park uh, to listen as well. So, um, James, what would you tell yourself 20 well, years ago? Here? One, one thing. One thing, one, one piece of advice. Maybe a food, food don't, related. Don't to forget, uh, don't pack two tins of smelly fish in my suitcase. <laughs> 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 I was thinking, well, yeah, exactly. It's a very difficult question, isn't it? I mean, just selfishly, my first instinct was, well, don't sell those Netflix shares. <laughs> <You know? laughs> at the time, I thought I was making enough. I thought I was a good deal. I made a few thousand pounds. And now I look at them and I think, oh, you idiot. <laughs> it's that kind of stuff. You think, oh, what is it? Or, or yes, you know, bet on Leicester City to win the Premier League or something. You, know, just, you should have done that when your friend said it might be a good bet. All those kind of things. But when it comes to food, it ties in. I'm just think about what you've been talking about with guilt-free. I... I you know, I'm trying, I mean, Hess and I talk about this all the time, but emotional eating and our emotional relationship with food is really important. And I, I, I suppose just, if I'm looking back to myself when I was younger, maybe I wasn't so aware of these issues and maybe I ought to have been and maybe I wouldn't have such a struggle now as an older man to, to with dealing with my, you know, relationships with food where, you know, I know sometimes I eat the wrong thing and I eat it for the wrong reason because I'm whatever grumpy tired happy sad whatever it's an emotional eat it's not a nutritional need and 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 i should listen more to, to to the way my body works so maybe i would give myself those kind of pieces of advice because i guess when we were talking about the first question about nutritionally manipulating food it's what human beings have always done when we 
in a later podcast, we're going to talk about cooking and eating and its role in human evolution and, and why we cook over fire and all sorts of things. It's what we do. We manipulate our food for lots of reasons. In the beginning, it was probably nutritious, but then it became because it tasted good. So we began to manipulate food because it tasted nice and it was purely for pleasure and other things. And then we went so far down that road because we're so technologically advanced and sophisticated. We ended up with foods that weren't really very nutritious at all, but tasted fantastic. So we all got really unhealthy and you know, obese or fat or depressed and all sorts of things so now it seems like we're now forcing ourselves back to the way that we inherently are meant to be which is more in tune with the way our bodies are metabolizing food and and to touch on your point about cortisol as a stress hormone i mean its function i believe and i think it has to touch on this is it's to it's to increase um the metabolization or what if that's the right word of glucose in the system so when you're ready to do something your body creates cortisol which allows you to access a lot of glucose in the system to give yourself some energy which could be to run away from that tiger but you know these days it's not running away from a tiger it's whatever it's something you know it's it's getting up from a chair sometimes it's something so you know unstressful but our body you know interprets that as a huge amount of stress in the system (laughs) and we we then just collapse in this world of anxiety and stress and everything so then you go back to eating a chocolate bar yourself calm down (laughs) and off you go you know and and it just feels like we're in a world of mess so maybe i would tell myself just to chill out with you know when it comes to food and, and listen to my gut and eat when I'm hungry, drink when I'm thirsty and, and try to stay away from the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> no, stay, stay behind the yellow line. Move on. Yes. Nothing to see. There's nothing to see. There's nothing to eat. Just move along. Yeah. Move along swiftly, please. So go on, Heston. You're, you're, you're walking into the fat duck 20, 25 years ago. So there's angry Heston there chopping away. He's very busy. He's trying to just chop some onions. And What are you saying to him? Is he going to listen for a start? But what are you saying to him? You can say one thing to him. Well, it's the same thing I, I'd like. I'd love to see in the education system, and <clears throat> it's completely connected to the to, to, to food, as connected to food as it is most other things that we do. We are in the business generally, whatever the business is, that we are, we're ultimately in the business of emotions. So we make our emotions; they don't make us. We make well, they do. We produce our our complex universe produces emotions and those emotions shape what we see what we hear what we touch what we taste etc if you could teach kids to take responsibility for their emotions and also teach them that is one of the most difficult things to conquer in our universe but it is one of the most rewarding you can put no financial value on the importance of that so if i could i would if i could but then maybe again if i wasn't angry heston and frustrated heston and beating himself up heston i wouldn't have been able to look back at that and having this conversation and i'm saying this like i'm sitting as like a buddhist monk and also the question is would you have listened to you right now I don't think <laughs> you'd have been out kicked out of that I kitchen. Have, I, 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 no, I wouldn't have understood it. I just thought, what the bloody hell are you talking about? What do you mean? It's not my fault. There Fuck you me. You see, we've actually it's we've actually time travelled here. Hard. We're talking about changing the past it's, to change the future. We've now run out of time. Our flux capacitor has run out of whatever they flux on, uh, and we're going to have to return to the present. But there is one last food, future food development I've heard of, which I think is truly groundbreaking, which is someone is working on a lollipop to cure hiccups, which frankly is the purpose of the future. So I'm quite impressed with oh, that. Oh, <laughs> I wonder if that's got to do with sucking. Because, well, because you know where apparently 
where our hiccups where it where i don't know why we still hiccup but our hiccup mechanism apparently this is according to it's not according to our incredibly uh set in stone <laughs> undisputed uh research um, this is proper data, science data or <laughs> data it is what the evolutionary world, uh, the, the evolutionary experts uh, currently consider is that when we, or pre-we, who we came from, we out, come out of the sea, the reptilian mechanism to live in and out of the water is the mechanism that creates hiccups. Huh. So it's there from an evolutionary point of view. There um, you go. Now we have a lollipop. <laughs> anyone that knows the benefit of hiccuping is there a benefit? I mean, it's like, we'll leave you on this note, the appendicitis, it was for years considered that the appendix, I had my appendix out when I was a kid, was really useful and valuable when we were on all fours and we stood up, it became, it just became, um, it was a part of the body that wasn't uh, needed. But evolution doesn't seem to work like that. And the latest or more recent findings is that the the appendix is actually almost like a reservoir for microbiome so like sending the cavalry i'd like to know if anyone knows why why do we hiccup there you go as usual and if anyone's it's, tried well, these lollipops because I, I think they exist already i'm looking at I'm, i might buy you i'll buy some and we'll have a go then we have to give remember, ourselves a hiccups aren't we first otherwise yeah, yeah my hiccup there was the drinking upside down <laughs> that doesn't that work. was a you know, that was that doesn't seem hold to your breath hold Holding your breath, I remember my mum always telling me, and that seemed to work sometimes, not the other. I don't know. Having a shock. There's probably... Uh, give you somebody... Yes, give them a shock. Um, <laughs> Maybe these lollipops probably, explode. They just burst yeah. in your face. <laughs> <laughs> Wiping a piece of steak with your big toe, wrapping it in string <laughs> and brown paper and burying it 17 foot down the garden. Plus, in the way they do these surveys, I would just give lollipops out to 100 people in the street and go, see, working, nobody's hiccuping. 100% success rate. <laughs> they don't state it has to, uh, you know, be hiccuping first. That's the reality of that's the reality TV for you, isn't it? <laughs> On that note, James, thank you ever so much for being there as always in our Pleasure. trip to the future. And Heston, uh, until we meet again in the future, thank you ever so much. Yes, I'll see you the day after yesterday. <laughs>